This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We are going to talk right now about making a difference in someone's life because it is something that a group that calls themselves London, Ontario, Reduce, Reuse, and Recycle is doing. They have not been around very long, so if you don't know their name just yet, don't worry. They were formed in January of 2021. And joining us right now from London, Ontario, Reduce, Reuse, and Recycle is Lori Ash. Lori, thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Let's talk a little bit about what led to the formation, first off, of London, Ontario, Reduce, Reuse, and Recycle. Uh, well, it was a couple of things. I mean, like many uh, today, um, I was looking for something to do. I'm an avid crocheter for 50-plus years. Um, and, you know, Christmas was quiet. I didn't get to see my grandchildren. So in January, uh, cleaning out a closet, I realized how many grocery bags I had and what could I do with these. So I did a little research, and, uh, of course, you, YouTube has videos for everything, and realized uh, what they could be used for and to turn them into sleeping mats for our people of London experiencing homelessness. So This, this is, is I... outstanding, and that's what you did. Okay, so let's yeah. talk about how that has gone, because this has grown in quite a big way. And we were just mentioning this. Now that you can't take your own bags to the grocery store, or you know, sometimes grocery stores will fill them up, but mostly it's everything's coming home in plastic. We've got plastic bags, like you say, in closets, hanging off doorknobs. These are all over the place. So how do you turn a plastic bag into something that can be usable by someone who is in need of a sleeping mat? Well, we do. We have many volunteers at this point. Uh, we've only been going three months, so we've done amended, you know, a, a wonderful uh, amount of crocheting. But basically, we fold the bag, we cut the end off, we cut the handles off, and from there we cut it in sections of, you know, anywhere from two to three inches, and put them together, and that makes plarn, plastic yarn, and then we crochet them up. Uh, into these mats, which are basically six feet by three feet. And they do deter, uh, you know, bugs and insects, and they they help to keep um, wetness away from the people that are sleeping on the ground. And it's just incredible what they can do. And I actually started making pillows to go with them. <laughs> this is outstanding. So in in making plarn you're yes. essentially turning into something that then you can crochet so that's that's just the strips of plastic then after the bag has been cut up that's correct yes they all get uh, put together where the joints have just tiny little knots and uh you know the mats don't have to be perfect they just have to be functional and how many bags would it take to create one sleeping mat Roughly anywhere from five to 700 bags. Um, some choose not to put uh, a carry strap on it or a tie strap. Therefore, you know, you'd probably use the 500 bags. But um, we, we like to make them as functional as possible for, for these people. We are talking with Lori Ash from London, Ontario, Reduce, Reuse, and Recycle, and talking about 
a program that they have started that allows for the creation of sleeping mats through plastic bags that, again, are hanging off our doorknobs, are stuffed under sinks, are put into closets. We've got to get rid of these things, and the last thing you want to do is just say, yeah, okay, landfill, here they come. So this is a way to do it. So, Lori, if someone is in that position where they open a door and plastic bags come falling out all over them, what can they do with these things so that we can make more of these mats? Well, they can uh, they can contact us either by joining our Facebook group, uh, which is named the the same as you have mentioned, uh, or by emailing us um, at london.on.rrr at gmail.com. And then we can let them know we have many drop points around the city to make it convenient for people. And it's uh, everybody has a bin on their porch, and so it's contactless drop-off. Great. And as much as this has been a, a big part of what your group has been doing, you're also collecting other things. What else are you collecting and why? We are collecting egg cartons, and we, uh, we send them out to local farmers to repurpose. Uh, we are also collecting um, any type of marker with a cap or without a cap, dry erase, highlighters. Um, at the moment, Crayola is not accepting them right now because of COVID, but once they, they do, then we will have an abundance to send to them. Um, I also take wax crayons and melt them down for less fortunate children or schools. Um, and use mascara wands, which uh, some of the smaller animal rescue sites will use for little brushes and whatnot for hamsters or birds. And yeah, that's outstanding. And a lot of this stuff, are you are you just finding it online? Hey, what what else can we add? Bit by bit, like I say, we've only been been going about three months, and I mean, it's a matter of like at this point, I need a warehouse, Mike. Like, <laughs> I mean, we've taken in seventeen thousand bags. Um, th- that's a crazy amount of bags. So, you know, they're kind of stored here, there, everywhere. I'm in a small place, and you wouldn't want to visit me at this point. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, most doors we open in your house, bags come flying out. Yeah, I have a lot of totes sitting in my living room with me right now, yes. Well, this is uh, such an incredible initiative, and it's done through Project HOPE as well. Talk to us a little bit about the involvement of Project HOPE. Yes, Project HOPE are the people, the group that disperses them for us. Um, They actually go out, they have a project uh, outreach that they go out, I believe it's Tuesday nights, Saturdays they collect their donations, um, so they, they hand the mats out, and they've actually said that they've the mats that have been handed out already, which is about a dozen, they've actually seen them in use, which is wonderful. Um, you know, and we help them if they're in need of toiletries and whatnot. We, you know, we put out in the group if anybody can help out to, to help them out because it's it's all about everybody helping everybody at this point, right? Well said. Well, some will say it, uh, some will do something about it. Thank you for being someone who does something about it. Uh, Look it up online on Facebook, London, Ontario, Reduce, Reuse, and Recycle. If you want to join that group or help out or make a donation of the plastic bags or egg cartons or old crayons that you might have, but London, Ontario, Reduce, Reuse, and Recycle. Lori, thanks for what you do in this community. We we can't uh, do anything more than words at this point, and I hope that will suffice, that and knowing, you know, just how many people you are helping. 
Thank you, Mike. And I just want to thank all of London because without London, we can't do what we do. And it takes a village, and we have an amazing village. Lori, please stay safe. Thank you. You too. That's Lori Ash. Start it up, London, Ontario. Reduce, reuse, and recycle. And now they have volunteers. They've got 500 members on their Facebook group, and you can find it. It's very easy. London, Ontario, reduce, reuse, and recycle. And if you have any plastic bags kicking around, they can turn them into sleeping mats, and they're making more and more week by week. So we saw a bailout. It's a bailout for Air Canada. Now, you hear loans and you hear stipulations. So let's talk a little bit about what all of this means. Let's look at why this would happen. Why Air Canada? What is this doing? There has to be some between-the-lines stuff. Frederick Dimanche is a director at the Ted Rogers School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at Ryerson University. And we are lucky enough to have him with us right now. Dr. Dimanche, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much, Matt. How are you? Hey, I'm doing okay. Let's let's zero in on this particular bailout for Air Canada. Why exactly do we see the government doing this in your estimation? Well, first, I think it was, uh, it, it's important to say that that's something that was expected already a long time ago. It's, it's coming late, in my opinion, especially when we look at uh, governments around the world who have been doing similar things with their respective airlines. Uh, the Europeans did this um, months ago. Uh, the United States did this also. Australia did this as well. So there was also always this question in Canada about why not here yet? And, and I think it was just a matter of negotiation. And, and making sure that uh, Air Canada would agree to, to, to the terms. You know, they probably had some requests as well. Uh, the government had some requests as well. So overall, it's a, it's a solution that will help Air Canada, that will help um, the customers, obviously. Uh, as, you, as you could read, you know, uh, they will be entitled to reimbursement for the flights that they didn't took in the past year. That will help also the uh, regional destinations. Uh, you, you remember also that Air Canada cut some flights and, and some destinations from their network uh, a few months ago. And, and now that's going to be uh, back on. You know, Air Canada will have to serve those destinations and it's extremely important for them and for future rebound. So overall, you know, the, the, the government, I think, is going to be uh, happy to see that, uh, um, you know, Air Canada is going to take some steps to help the customers and the destination. Air Canada will be happy to see that they receive some loans, you know, some money from the government. Uh, of course, that's public money, um, but uh, it's better than nothing. We can look and see that the stipulations, like you say, are to, you know, reinstitute some routes, or certainly another one is to continue to buy from Canadian manufacturing. How much do things like the buy from Canadian manufacturing weigh into something like this? Because there are other airlines in this country. Yeah, there are other airlines. And I think this kind of a, uh, agreement will be uh, will not be multilateral. I think it's a specific one for Canada. And I think 
the government will get back to the drawing table and, and look for, for specific agreement again for air transit, for example, the WestJet. So uh, I, I believe we might expect this uh, in the future. You were mentioning the importance of, of buying uh, from local manufacturing. I think it's important as well to, to say that. Uh, you know, Bombardier was making planes that are now uh, taken over by Airbus, but there is a production site in Canada, in Quebec, I believe. And, um, you know, that's part of the deal. You know, when, when Air Canada is going to uh, expand its fleet or buy some new planes, more um, uh, ecological planes, uh, they will have uh, to buy locally. We are talking right now with Dr. Frederick Dimanche, who is the director of the Ted Rogers School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at Ryerson University, looking at the almost $6 billion bailout package. Now, again, Dr. Dimanche has mentioned we're dealing with a lot of loans here. We are dealing with public money, but we're not dealing with, hey, here's this, uh, go and run and do whatever you want with it. At the same time, you've got lines that say senior executive total compensation is going to be capped at a million dollars each, and well, okay, uh, I don't, I don't know how that factors in. I don't know, we, you know, is is there a reason for that line to be there? Well, there is because on the one hand, you know, the the, the deal is going to be using some public money as opposed to using shareholders' money, and uh, you know, you you can see how some uh, some people in the public will say, well, you know, we are helping. You know, it's my tax money basically that is helping the airline. When, um, you know, we could ask or we should ask, you know, the shareholders to, to, to pay for it. So, um, you know, it's like everything else. It's, it's, a, it's a compromise. And, and um, you know, uh, there is a cap on, on the shareholder benefits. Uh, you know, maybe that cap could have been lower. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, if that deal was signed, it's because, um, you know, everybody around the table, Air Canada and the government, were, were satisfied with the terms. We hear sometimes from the government that we need a national airline, and Canadians want a national airline. Uh, do we need, and do you feel Canadians want a national airline? Is, is there a real advantage to having this? Well, I'm, I'm not sure there is an advantage of getting a, a Canadian airline, but this time, you know, the government is going to get some equity in the airlines for sure. So that means that they're going to be around the table and they're going to be part of the decision-making process for uh, possibly expanding the network, for choosing which destination to go to, for uh, you know promoting some, some regions of Canada, for partnering, for example, with some regional airlines. Why not, you know, for, for some uh, code-sharing uh, agreement? Um, it, it's important for a country, no matter what, to have a strong airline network. It's essential for the economy. It's essential for, um, you know, business to rebound, as it will in the next month. Um, and, 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 and for sure, you know, the government, I think, had a responsibility to, to make sure that an airline, at least one airline, would be viable and, and there will be more. You know, we cannot let Air Canada be the only player in, uh, in the Canadian sky. You know, there has to be a competitive environment as well. And what does this do And that we've seen a bailout for Air Canada, and yet you look at, for instance, Porter, they're grounded right now. They're, they're not flying at all. So what do we see there in terms of, of dealing with a competitive advantage? Well, you know, there are some other regional airlines and, and the big players. Of course, you can think about WestJet. You can think about Air, uh, Air Transat. Flair, you know, the low-cost airline has announced that they will be starting this summer. 
Uh, Porter, as you mentioned, you know, suggested that uh, uh, they will uh, restart flying again um, at the end of the spring or beginning of the summer. So all of those operators are, are hoping to, to, to get moving again. And, and, and I believe that at one point or another, some deals are going to be negotiated with each of them to, so that they can be helped. Right. So more government money could go to them to help them out. Possibly, yeah. Wow. Anything else that, as you look up into the skies right now, Dr. Dimanche, that uh, that you see that you feel is pertinent to this particular story? Well, the, the next big story uh, or, or the big news that um, everybody is waiting from the federal government is, is um, you know, to open the sky, really, because at the moment, keep in mind that the border is still closed. Keep in mind that the sunshine destinations are still closed for, for Canadians. Um, and, and with the rate of vaccination increasing both in the United States and Canada, uh, I, I think, you know, they will be, uh, we will be seeing a, a growing demand for, for travel across the border. So it's just a matter of deciding on the federal government level when, um, you know, that, that vaccination rate or infection rate will be acceptable, um, you know, for people tourism traveling. Well, we will find out, hopefully, in the next little while, depending on what we see happening with yep. this entire pandemic. Dr. Dimanche, thank you so much for your insight today. Really appreciate the time. You are welcome. Have a good day. That is Dr. Frederick Dimanche. And Dr. Dimanche is the director of the Ted Rogers School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at Ryerson University. So the bailout for Air Canada and the many layers of it. We have been experiencing some vicarious vacations. All right, well, we've just been mentioning places people have gone uh, and telling some of their stories. Thank you for all of the stories that have come in today. It's uh, been at least great saying things like Hawaii or South Africa or Europe. It's a frustrating time with everything that is going on and we can dare to dream. So thank you for helping us to do that. Uh, one from Dave. Dave says, best vacation, the North Pole when I was in the Army. I don't know how much of a vacation that was uh, unless you get a few days off. And <laughs> and, uh, and immediately uh, the thing you've got to say is, okay, you, you've been in the North Pole on a vacation. Can Is there anywhere else on the earth that we could go to that would rival that? Is there? Um Ziad says, two years ago, I was backpacking across Western Europe. I was just outside Barcelona, hiking in the foothills of a mountain. I was at the end of this path, and I came to a clearing. It was a lake, very secluded. There were tall trees all around. It was dead silent, gorgeous. Crossed the lake. I saw a beautiful woman. I hesitated watching, struck by her beauty, also by how her presence existed uh she spied me before i could compose myself didn't cry out our eyes held she smiled enigmatically fresh tears spilling down her cheeks i was frozen i knew nothing about this woman and yet as we stood on opposite sides of a pool of water thousands of miles from my own home and everyone and i had ever known i felt the most intense connection not just to her but to everything uh as if she symbolized thousands of years of the human condition i wanted to go to her to comfort her to look into this feeling of belonging i had never encountered it before but i couldn't because i knew that if i spoke if she spoke that moment would be ruined 
and I knew I would need the memory of that moment to carry me through the inevitable dark patches throughout my life. And so I watched her lower her hand, turn, and slowly walk to the shore opposite me. The rest of her perfect form was gradually revealed to me, and I held my breath. Um, Then she disappeared behind a copse of trees near the water. I didn't follow her. I turned around. I knew there was nothing else we could experience together that would be more perfect than that moment. It still remains the most profound experience of my life. For Ziad, it's a true story. And the most profound experience of his life. Outstanding. Thank you. That gave us, uh, that gave us a little, little trip away. Ziad, thank you. If you have any, you can always email them, mike at 980cfpl.ca. Do want to reiterate, there's a statement from the Canadian Hockey League that came out today, and it says that with the WHL and the QMJHL in the midst of shortened seasons and the OHL continuing to return to play discussions with the Ontario government, unfortunately we have once again had to make the difficult decision to cancel the Memorial Cup. Um, That's now official. You had to know that was coming because the Western Hockey League is not playing any kind of playoffs. So they are not going to be creating a winner out of playoffs. With no winner, you have no Memorial Cup representative. And bringing teams together right now, now we're still in the middle of something that that is big. And so that's not going to be taking place as far as an OHL season. Well, that's the latest. They are continuing to work on return-to-play discussions with the Ontario government at the OHL level. But as of now, we do not have anything more to report, and neither does the Canadian Hockey League. So they are running out of runway, as many people have said. And whether or not they can fit anything in, or whether it's even worth fitting anything in, or whether it is safe to fit anything in, are still part of all of their discussions. We long for a day when, like Ziad, we can head off to somewhere and see someone across a lake and have an experience like that, or head for the North Pole, or just head anywhere. But once that day arrives, and we all want it to just snap right back into the way it used to be, but that day may arrive and be still different than what it used to be when it comes to any kind of traveling. And we are joined right now by someone who can help us out in understanding what we may have to know about traveling when things get back to quote unquote normal. Marty Firestone joins us from Travel Secure. Marty, thanks so much for being here. How you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Well, we appreciate the insights. So one day we all hope we're doing some virtual vacationing today, some vacations that are done vicariously through other people's experiences. I think that's about the best that we can get right now. But when things do come back, what are you hearing in terms of travel insurance and how that might work? Yeah, there's incredible amount of challenges facing us all. Let me start out by saying that I think travel as we know it does not happen till next summer 2022. That's how bad it is right now. I do not believe any international travel will take place, and mainly because there's nowhere to go. I mean, you're not going to go to Italy. You're not going to go to France. They're in current lockdown situations with rising numbers. So I don't think any of that is going to happen. Our best hope, quite frankly, from a snowbird perspective, is next November to head south to the USA maybe Christmas vacations for families in the sun destinations, but zero, zero, zero happening at an international level till the following year, probably closer to summer. 
And, you know, it's a realistic view. It, it has to be. You said it. You know, where are you going to go? Those sun destinations? We heard it earlier as we were talking with Dr. Frederick Dimanche from Ryerson University. Skies are closed to those destinations right now. So in terms of, of getting restarted, sure, we've got some time. How different might travel be when it does come back? Yeah, it's going to be different. I think the vaccine passport that everyone's been talking about will, in fact, become a reality. I'm seeing right now from snowbirds who want to return to Canada, they think that if they've had both vaccines, both shots, that they can head back and should be able to avoid a quarantine, should be for sure able to avoid the three-day hotel stay. So you can see the mentality of individuals are that, hey, I have the shot. I shouldn't have to be uh, under the regulations of people that have not. So I think that's a precursor, as I call it to what will be necessary to travel once again. From an insurance company perspective, they will definitely probably also want to know that you have the vaccine and then you can opt out of not taking the COVID coverage, as an example. I mean, this is all in my mind at this moment, but I think these are the things that are going to play out when we do start traveling again. Now, in terms of insurance, and we're talking right now with Marty Firestone, and Marty is with Travel Secure. Do we expect changes to kind of incorporate COVID-19 into travel insurance? Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, so I think the way it'll be handled is as follows. Once the Level 3 travel advisory is lifted and the borders are open up between the USA and Canada, as an example, COVID will no longer be considered a pre-existing condition, for lack of a better word. Uh, by the time that all happens, the vaccines will all be done, or at least to the, uh, to the degree of herd immunity. And I think the insurance companies will look at it as being just any other sort of uh, pre-existing meaning. If you were sick with COVID, you know, two weeks before you went away, of course, that's not going to be covered. But all in all, if one did not have COVID and they were stable, let's say three months or six months, they will not have any issues with coverage down south if, in fact, they did have a claim that anybody could link to anything to do with COVID or any other pandemic for that matter at this point. Okay, so that at least sounds encouraging. We're not going to have a, a subsection saying, hey, by the way, you get COVID, that you're on your own and so are your hospital bills. Doesn't sound like that is is you know being entertained no i i believe it is and has been since march of 2020 if you didn't buy the covid rider or add it to your policy you were out of luck if in fact you did come down and ended up god forbid on a ventilator for three weeks for you know half a million dollars you would have been out of luck now you can cover yourself with the covid rider but now when you're vaccinated next year it'll be an interesting dilemma because our two shots going to prevent you from ever getting COVID again and that's going to be a question mark that's going to play in with a lot of actuaries of the insurance companies and travelers heading south should I take a rider to cover me for COVID like even though I've had the vaccine what if I were to get it again that's going to be something we all have to think about yeah and that's something where we just need more data right we need to find out exactly how this is going to be in our society in a year in two years and we just don't know we have no idea, and that's the problem with everything. The second shot that was to be three weeks after the fact, what's that mean for the people who are getting four months after the fact? Did they make it three weeks because that was the timelines in order to get this thing out, or is there a rationale behind three weeks, and is four months going to be too late? So perfect example of there's just not enough time to have watched this and see what the results are. 
Marty Firestone of Travel Secure joining us as we look into travel insurance and how COVID-19 might impact it. Do you believe we might see an increase in insurance costs as far as travel insurance goes, Marty? I don't. I think everything will remain constant. I don't think the claims that the insurers have been experiencing have gone through the roof because of COVID because, A, it hasn't really turned into that. Remember, the majority of people that went south or traveled went down there and got vaccines. So they're probably in better shape than many Canadians who are still waiting for their first shot, yet alone their second shots, which are four months away. So there hasn't been a tremendous amount of claims as a result of COVID in current travel insurance year. So I don't see it as being a cost that's going to be implemented or added on to next year's insurance premiums, because I don't think they got hit hard at all when you look at it. When we look at the entire industry, though, it has been hit hard and tourism and travel i mean they will be front and center top of lists when it all is said and done in terms of of impact how do you think that plays out in the next little while marty well i we see today the bailout for the airlines most interesting that all hundred thousand plus travelers are all going to get back refunds as opposed to the vouchers and credits they have so that that's positive um, everyone talks about it coming back bigger and better than ever. And you got to believe that. I mean, even ask yourself or, or, or someone else, when we can travel again, will we? And the answer is we will, and we will go more times than we ever went, and we will go for longer than we went, and we will not take it for granted. So I do think down the road, there definitely is going to be more interest than ever before for travel. And travel insurance, of course, will follow, and airlines and everything will go, and things will be better. But when is that? That's the key question. And right now, we don't have a lot of answers for that. In terms of travel companies, do you think they have been able to keep themselves going through all of this? Have they been able to push enough of a pause button? Or could we have travel companies that don't exist by the time we return? Oh, I think for sure. I mean, Air Canada gets bailed out. WestJet probably will, too. Will Air Transat? I don't know. And then tour operators, travel agencies, they are closing left and right. They just can't survive. I mean we can here in the travel insurance business because you know you just turn it down a notch i mean we still had tremendous amount of people going away believe it or not that needed insurance primarily to the u.s not traveling internationally many flocked there to get the vaccine so you know in travel insurance sales were still there not by any means close to what it was but there still was sales but the problem is with agencies they pay rent they pay employees lots of things come into play and there was just no business this year none at all Well, Marty, we appreciate your time and the information on all of this. It's something we'll continue to monitor. Please keep safe and have a great rest of the day. You too, and thank you for having me on. That's Marty Firestone. Marty is with Travel Secure. So he doesn't anticipate any increases in terms of what it would cost for travel insurance and what people who have either been traveling or have had to travel uh, have done is is pick up a, a rider on their insurance where if you didn't have that and you contracted COVID, you might be on your own. Marty doesn't expect that to be something that you continue to have to do once we have, if they wind up with the vaccination passport or whatever name we wind up giving to it. And so that's the latest on doing some traveling as we continue to do some dreaming about doing some traveling. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.